This is the Apocalypse Theater Podcast with Benjamin Allen. Episode 23, Night Train's Last Run. One. Dr. Jordan Carlyle's face didn't look well as he scanned the reports his assistant had compiled for Alec Turner, the Alec Turner that had appeared on the cover of the April edition of Fortune 500 magazine last year. Carlyle tongued the flake of apple skin that had gotten stuck between his back-bottom teeth. It felt like it was almost loose, but the agitation of it being there bugged him. He stood before the door that separated him from Alec Turner, who was waiting in the patient's room beyond it. He shifted his jaw and opened his throat to give his tongue access to the other side of the tooth that housed his irritation. Finally, the flake of apple skin came loose and Carlyle swallowed it, pressing the door handle to give him entry to the room in succession. Well, Mr. Turner, I'm shocked to see how high your blood pressure is. He folded the report in its manila folder under his arm. Considering your peak physical condition at 52 years old, it's legitimately puzzling how these stats could look the way they do. Yeah he said in his signature deep, commanding voice. The high BP is why I came in. That and the, uh, he swallowed, event. Care to elaborate on what happened during this event? Carlyle relaxed against the rim of the counter opposite to Alec. Like I told you earlier, he said, a little annoyed. I and my security team chased some punk kids off my property last night, and, for whatever reason... Once I was heading back to the house, I felt winded at first, then the nausea set in, followed by the pain in my shoulder and arm. Left arm? Carlyle added. Alec nodded. Left arm. Right felt fine. Felt like my heart was just clenching in my chest, like it was trying to grab on to, I don't know, control or something. Carlyle narrowed his eyes upon Alec. He took a deep breath, opened his mouth, closed it, and opened it again. And this has happened before? It happened last week when I was at the store. I saw someone stealing something and it just... He bared his teeth, looking past Carlyle. Made me so angry, he whispered. Would you say that you have a history of stress and or anger problems? Carlyle asked. I mean, both of these events happen during times when you particularly put a lot of undue stress upon yourself. Sometimes, Alex said. Historically, I guess I've always more or less used my anger to my advantage. I have led a rather stressful life at times, heading the company and all. Unfortunately, these numbers are akin to that of someone who's been into extreme sports. You know, ropeless rock wall climbing, base jumping. Carlyle laughed. Alec didn't. Or, and my friend, I'm not judging. Some people have, you know, alternative sexual lifestyles that... That's not it. Alec flared his eyebrows. Anyway, be aware that for someone in your physical state of prowess, you should remove whatever is inducing this level of stress from your life. I'm not going to shoot in the dark at whatever that is, and I won't patronize you about what you do with your life. But like I said earlier, based on what you've said about both of those events, you probably didn't even need to be involved in either of those situations. You can't tell me you don't have an assistant that can run to the store for you, and you didn't need to chase after the intruder when your security team was on the job. I'm just saying, stop everything you're doing, take two weeks vacation in the Bahamas that you desperately need, and for shit's sake, Alec, stop acting like a geezer and start acting like the wise yogi we all know you are. Alec finally broke and chuckled as he put his dress shirt back on. And that level of brutal honesty is why you're the only cardiologist I trust. Carlyle made several notes on his reports. 
I'm going to prescribe you some medication to lower your blood pressure, but we're going to see if we can do this organically beyond this first month of meds. I'd suggest working out, but you've already got that covered. Meditation is a great way to reduce stress if you don't already know that. See if you can get a regular habit of it formed, otherwise you're just pissing on a house fire. Let's cut caffeine, sugary drinks, and frankly I'd just go water hardcore. Drink twice as much water as you're drinking right now, and stay the ever-living F away from fast food and alcohol. I get it, you're hustling your ass off, time is short, but the trans fat alone might be enough to push you over the edge. Right, Doc. Alec finished buttoning his shirt. He withdrew his dark blue blazer from the coat rack on the back of the door and swung it over his shoulders. Once it was on, it was impossible to ignore how enormous the man was. You have my cell phone number, so if you have any questions or you need reassurance, just call me, day or night. But if you do have another event and you think you're having a heart attack or a stroke, don't call me. Call 911. Of course, Alec nodded. And Alec, Carlyle clapped him on the shoulder. Take it easy. Seriously. He met Alec Turner's dark brown eyes. I will. Thank you, Dr. Carlyle. My pleasure. Have a great afternoon. Carlyle opened the door and let Alec Turner out. He stood in the doorway and listened to Alec's footfalls until he reached the front desk. Jen, the secretary at the front, gave a flirtatious laugh as Alec leaned over the counter to tell her something that Carlisle couldn't hear. She continued laughing as Alec slapped the counter, gave her a wave, and then left the building. 2. So, based on what my cardiologist said, I gotta clock out this week and leave it to you guys, Alec said later that evening as he watched Freddy's camera feed from the top left screen monitor of his multimedia digital display setup. He was gliding over the tall buildings of the city of Mortimer, while tracking a crew that was scouting a bank for a potential upcoming robbery. I didn't think that encounter with Rex Manners would leave me so rattled. It's about time you took a vacation, boss, Freddy said as he landed abruptly upon the balcony of a high-rise building. Morgan and I can cover the place for a few weeks. Alex rested his elbows on the counter over the keyboard, lacing his fingers together before his eyes. You're going to have to. One more event, and it might put me out of commission permanently. Over twenty years of outsmarting bad guys, and the great night train is finally defeated by the only person more stubborn than him, Alec Turner. Freddy dove from the balcony back into flight. A grin spread over Alec's face. And what about our new protege? Do you think she'll be up to the task? I'll check with her later. She's with her boyfriend tonight, said Freddy. She lit me up for texting her the other day outside of work, or whatever this is, patrol. You guys aren't buddy-buddy in normal life. Alec grabbed his mug of chai tea and reclined in his comfortable computer chair. Not really. Did I mention that she cornered me and said if either of us come on to her, she's out? You didn't, said Alec as he glanced at the tracker map on their target. He noticed a text from Officer Redvine. So your boy just now. Got a witness that just reported a female kidnapping. Red Van. Text you the license plate in a sec. At least two suspects. Freddy said Alec as he glanced at the text on his phone. Take your next left in front of the Mortimer Bank. One of the patrolmen has a beat on a kidnapping. Look for a red van with the license plate number of Eagle David 5-6 Andrew Bethany. I set up cameras at the bank location earlier, so I'll keep an eye on the other crew. On it, boss. I'm 30 years older than Morgan and you're engaged, said Alec. If she doesn't trust us, then why should we trust her? I think she may be a little autistic. Freddy said carefully in a question. She's very blunt and isn't very good at socially interacting with others. Her boyfriend probably just got over it so he could bone. Opinions are like assholes, Freddy, Alex sighed. Everybody has one, Freddy answered playfully. 
Give me a sec, would you? Alec watched as Freddy the Falcon descended upon the red van that was speeding through intersections as the lights turned yellow. The van cut a left into an alley and sped southwest, emerging onto Emerson Street and continuing west. Alec put down his chai tea and began typing maddeningly on the keyboard. He was able to calculate the distance and trigger the lights to go red several blocks ahead. The cross-traffic would force the criminal driver to stop. They did. Falcon landed on the sidewalk next to the van. The van idled as he approached the vehicle. The light cycled to green, but the dark red vehicle didn't move. Usually, guilty suspects were in a hurry to get off the streets. Maybe the driver got distracted. With the street empty and no driver to dog them into motion, the van continued idling as Falcon approached. Falcon walked next to the car and slowly peered through the driver's window. The hell? It's empty! Falcon looked genuinely confused. Freddy, the back! Alex stared at the black and white street camera footage as the dual back doors to the van opened to a yawning blackness. I can't see what's inside. The moment Falcon stepped around and stood at the threshold of the van's open doors, four thick lassos of black cord wrapped him in succession before he was helplessly pulled inside. The assailants wore the unmistakable black and white distorted masks that signified that they were the footmen of Horror Show, the unsettling dark mastermind who had pulled off numerous high-ticket heists successfully and easily while executing his signature horror-themed schemes. Freddy! Alec yelled as the two men in masks pulled the back van doors closed. Boy, is it your lucky day, Nitrain. The falsified voice of Horror Show spoke through Freddy's headset. The things we'll see. The things we'll learn. The things we'll do together. What do you want, Horror Show? Alec's heart hammered painfully in his chest as Alec tried to will his clenched fist to open. There's an open bounty on the head of Nitrain, and I'm a very motivated investor in the things that interest me. I must admit, though, between my efforts, I'm a very lazy individual. You know, with the ongoing pandemic in the country, I like having things delivered to me. So I thought to myself, how could I have Nitrain delivered directly to my front door? You're playing with fire, Alex said through clenched teeth. We certainly have streamlined delivery, haven't we? It wasn't hard at all. I could do it from my couch. And the longer it takes my order to arrive, the more damaging the penalty fee will be. Tick-tock, Nitrain. My delivery has one hour to arrive before I start removing digits. Freddy the Falcon's feed suddenly cut off. Damn it! Alec thought about contacting Morgan, but he decided not to. Yeah, fighting crime wasn't a normal job, but a person's gotta be able to shut it down and have a normal life. It's a little different if your partner gets kidnapped, but Alec also didn't want Morgan involved at her level of experience. This might get dangerous. Alec disregarded his doctor's orders to stay home and relax and approached the blue and black nitrine suit in the glass display case at the back of the hidden vault where he and his cohorts met on a regular basis. As he approached, the motion sensor opened the sliding glass door as the suit broke apart to accept its occupant. Malik turned and leaned back into the suit as it locked around his wrists, forearms, biceps, encased his shoulders and chest, and gripped his thighs, calves, and feet. Made of a mixture of Kevlar and steel, the nitrine suit was capable of withstanding a train. It had a ratchet and release system that could generate enough strength behind his fists to equal the same amount of force as being struck by a train. The suit could do a lot of things, including act as an exoskeleton so that he could fall long distances without sustaining injury. It couldn't fly, that was a bummer, but he had a built-on minor jetpack system in the shoulders that could help him reach higher distances. Alec, with his helmet in hand, 
pulled free of the computer cords as he watched Freddy's GPS tracker lead him to their final destination. It was a setup. Nitrain would be walking directly into a staged event where he wouldn't have the advantage. It was shooting uphill without cover. He remembered being shot in Afghanistan, remembered the shock he had felt when he'd been hit in the left forearm, remembered shoving Brooks's helmet into his armpit as a sort of makeshift tourniquet so that he could keep shooting back at his team's assailants. All he could remember was the sound of never-ending gunfire like a storm of bullets, but it didn't make him scared, it made him angry. He closed his eyes to come back and put on his helmet. The computer synced to the helmet's visor. Alex swapped screens to the GPS map and minimized the picture to his upper right so that he could view it while he drove. They wanted a delivery. They could consider their order en route. Alec ducked into his nitrain vehicle. It was a formerly restored Porsche 911 that had been modified with a custom shell that allowed it to look like a silver bullet as it flew down the road. Gunning the engine, the vehicle skidded and roared down the tunnel highway toward the exit ramp. 3. Mortimer was quiet that night. A police officer pulled up to a stoplight. It turned green, but Nitrain's silver bullet car skied across his vision at 80 miles per hour before he could press the accelerator. The police knew going after Nitrain was a waste of resources. The cost of chasing him down would far outweigh just pretending he turned the previous corner a minute prior. Alec followed Freddy's signal to a long, four-lane industrial road that led between different distribution centers. Semi-trucks passed him as he made his way toward the last building on the left at the end of the lane. It was easily four football fields long and two wide. The building was gargantuan, but that's where Freddy's signal was located. Alec tightened his grip on the wheel as he sat, parked on the edge of the road with the engine idling. Getting out, a panel opened on the side of the vehicle. His A arsenal appeared from the panel above the wheel well. He considered the train carbine, a modified MK-12 Navy rifle that could probably take out every target in the place without any trouble, except they might have dressed Freddy to look like one of them. He would normally wield two fifty caliber Action Express Desert Eagles, but he ran into the same issue with potentially striking Freddy. He could be trapped in the middle of that place. That made his weaponry equally dangerous and useless. He would have to go in with melee. Tapping the panel, the weaponry slid back into the wheel well of the vehicle. Alec then used the suit's visor to triangulate a wall a safe distance from Freddy's signal. He set a location marker for the wall and started the warpath. The bullet car peeled out and sped across the parking lot for the wall he had set as its destination. Alec jogged after the vehicle, keeping low. He watched the car fire three Hess shells into the wall that exploded a triangular opening via plastic explosive, and then smashed through it. The exterior wall caved around the car as Alec entered behind and kept to the inside. It was pitch black and there were no lights. Before he could turn on his night vision, a sudden strobe flashed through the room where he'd entered. It was disorienting as the light flickered eerily. He turned around to see a masked figure approaching in the quick flashes of light. The mask was like one of those disfigured pig faces from that famous Twilight Zone episode. Alec fired a palm into the air where the person had been, but they had darted to the left in the space of darkness they'd been given. They tried to tackle him, but landed directly onto Nitrain's block of a knee. Alec, centering on his assailant's position within the strobe light, smashed the butt of his palm across the masked face of the individual. The light flickered and he found himself wrestling with three of the masked figures while the other person tried to get up. He elbowed someone in the cranium, punched someone else in the throat, and then prepared his train punch. When the light flashed again, he saw that the room had cleared. He spun around until he could put his back to the wall, seeing no one. 
he pressed the button on the side of his helmet to turn on his night vision. Now he was able to see everything through a digital green color, save for the occasional blinding flash from the strobe. Surveying the room, Alex saw that there were panels covering slots around the base of the walls where the assailants had retreated. It had all been part of an elaborate plan to get under his skin. It had worked. He kicked the panels to no avail. Alex's heart throbbed steadily in his chest, but the thought of Freddy being hurt by these monsters made him press through the closed door on the adjacent side of the room. Stepping inside, the room looked almost the same as the previous one. Buildings didn't usually look like this. Each room had been constructed to look like another identical room. Some rooms had doors on different walls, some doors were literally on the floors or ceilings. Alec thought about how big the facility was and knew this wasn't going to be easy. He pressed a button on the panel on his wrist and the car backed out from its hole. It would roll around the block on its own and park and lock in a safe place. Alec was going to have to play Horror Show's game, which meant playing by Horror Show's rules. Entering the maze, Alec began going through doors. 4. The lights strobed as Nitrain rushed from one door to the next, holding in his mind the layout and orientation of the building. He entered a room with at least six men in twisted, distorted masks. They wielded aluminum baseball bats and pipes. The strobe made them hard to predict as they darted back and forth, but Alec wasn't having it. If this was the best horror show had, then the game was already over. A minion struck him with a pipe, but Alec caught it with a reinforced bracer on his wrist. Within an instant, Alec slammed his fist into the man's stomach, caught the aluminum bat over his shoulder, and smashed the butt of the bat into the first attacker's solar plexus. He ducked a swipe from a third attacker while bringing the bat up into the chin of the fourth. The men backed away as Alec gripped the baseball bat in both hands. Let's play, he smirked beneath his helmet and then laid into his attackers. They couldn't get into their escape holes this time. He dropped the baseball bat and left the room behind. Alec continued entering the same perfectly square sequence of rooms. He tried a door on the ceiling, only to find it leading to another identical room up above. Alec pulled himself through. There was only one door from this room. When he passed through it, he found himself on a graded catwalk overlooking a continuously whirling merry-go-round with eerie clown faces painted upon the walls between massive mirrors that disoriented the writer even more. Crossing to the door on the opposite side of the catwalk, Alec found the door locked. The doorknob was the same rounded metal as all the others in the building. He would have to go where Horror Show directed him. Alec hopped the rail and landed on the merry-go-round below. He was immediately ambushed by three attackers in black who came at him with knives. Alec backed out of the way as one of the attackers stabbed at him. He brought his knee into the person's stomach and barely dodged another thrust. He grabbed the arm of the second person in black and brought their arm down on the back of the first attacker while the third tried to get around behind him. Alec dropped his elbow on the back of the second attacker who fell upon the first. He turned around with his train fist ready to pummel the third person. The third guy dropped his knife and ran through a door on the opposite side of the merry-go-round. Alec tried another door on the rounded edge of the room, but when he opened it, there was a figure in what he thought was Freddy's costume. It almost immediately exploded, launching him across the merry-go-round to the aluminum floor next to the other two neutralized attackers. His ears rang as people in long, nasty hair ran through both doors, screaming at him. Alec's heart seized in his chest. Against the pain, he punched one of the long-haired screamers in the face to rather great satisfaction. The move floored them as another person turned and ran, screaming in the other direction. <laughs> now we're having fun, 
Horror Show's distorted voice issued from a speaker in the ceiling. But we're just getting started. He grabbed a door handle and pushed through. He fell into another quiet square office room. From somewhere within the building, Alec heard the distinct sound of a chainsaw, actually what sounded like dozens of chainsaws. Alec made his way through another series of rooms until he passed through a door to find a gauntlet of sorts that had been built throughout the high space of the warehouse. There was a wooden track he could follow, and throughout the course, obstacles had been constructed to thwart his progress. The sound of the chainsaws was even louder, even though he couldn't see where they were. You believe being a savior for the city is noble, that there is no counter to justice and law enforcement. The truth is that there has always been opposition to the rise of power. You cannot create an unstoppable force without inevitably finding that immovable object. You didn't save this city with your presence. You made Mortimer the biggest challenge in the country. A free-for-all. You don't have to defeat the police. You just have to outsmart Nitrain. I've already outsmarted you, and you just haven't figured it out yet, Alec said. Alec jogged up the ramp leading to the upper part of the gauntlet. At the top, a trap door swung closed behind him as the floor slid apart. He fell to his knees onto a conveyor belt that spanned the whole corridor. It moved against him, making him keep pace to progress. Blocks with the chainsaws built onto them dropped from the ceiling and spun throughout the path that was at least 150 yards long. Alec took a deep breath and began running. Sweat soaked his collar and armpits within the suit. He reached the quarter mark when the pain in his chest ramped up once more. He saw another of the spinning blocks and went for it. Horsho thought he was getting under Alec's skin. He was only making him more annoyed. This would be a cakewalk if Alec was ten years younger. Using the reinforced elbow of the suit, Alec broke through the mount holding the modified chainsaw to the wooden block. Yanking the cords from the device as the saw powered off, Alec tossed the thing aside but used the block to prevent himself from losing his place on the conveyor belt. Clutching his chest, he slow-walked with his back to the block while doing some general breathing exercises to relax the tightness. He imagined a series of ropes wrapping his heart. The tension upon those ropes was being tightened ever so slightly throughout this entire event. It was as though he could see the fraying cords of multiple delicate lines preparing to snap after taking the burden of his rage and frustration throughout the years. He couldn't let someone like Horror Show be the one to break the camel's back. Alec promised himself that vacation once all of this was over. The conveyor belt picked up speed. Alec couldn't stay. He would have to fight the conveyor belt between the last ten of those damn chainsaws. Come on, Nitrain. Alec clenched his fists and took a final breath through gritted teeth. Here comes the pain! He pushed off the block and sprinted between the chainsaws, narrowly avoiding them when they were positioned just so to make it a challenge to progress. Every now and then, the speed would change randomly, driving him or slowing him at an opportune times to trip him up. He heard the whirring of a chainsaw as the speed hastened. The growling blade of one of the mechanized saws deflected off Alec's helmet. He instinctively ducked and felt the ropes in his chest tighten painfully. Alec swore and pushed off into a further run. He could see the end of the corridor ahead. Five blocks with chainsaws created a life-size garbage disposal at the end of the course. What was worse, the conveyor belt changed entirely to one that would accelerate into the blades. Alec searched for an out. Before he could leave the vicinity of the final independent chainsaw of the course, Alec broke the device from its mount as he'd done with the previous one. He hopped the divide between the belts and rode toward impending doom. 
Using the blade of his defunct chainsaw to parry a single, jutting, still-whirring chainsaw, he forced the device to a redundant grinding as he ducked it to get to the opposite side of the chainsaws, and stable ground, so he thought. The moment his feet connected with the wooden plank floor, in a flash that was not unlike a nightmare, the floor opened up to a square black pit. Alec fell directly inside, feeling a sudden rush of wind. He saw through his night vision, rapidly spinning industrial fan blades. He thought he was going to be mincemeat, but he landed upon a large grate covering the fans. Alec clenched his eyes closed as his left arm throbbed. It felt tight all the way down to his fingers. Even though he was right over the fan, the sound of it was far away. He forced himself to breathe while searching his surroundings. He saw a darkened doorway leading away from the fan blades. Alec staggered through, resting in the threshold for a moment. What's wrong, Nitrain? Am I getting to you? You seem a little winded. <laughs> he laughed, but the audio cut off. I've played your games, horror show, Alec yelled. Where's Falcon? Your friend is in a basement, in a house on the hill, surrounded by zombies. Horshow breathed. Alec shook his head and continued through the corridor that followed a ramp to the second floor. From there, he turned to see the set of what looked like a mall food court, but there were hundreds of stationary mannequins positioned throughout the whole room. They stood upon oscillating platforms that shifted throughout the crowd. The strobe returned, but this time it was intermittent with large bulbs of light that were dangling from the ceiling that flashed brightly. It screwed with his night vision. With the random cut to darkness and the rotating of the platforms, it made the sea of mannequins seem to be moving of their own accord. He descended into the field of mannequins as heavy bass and trap music filled the room. His heart and his chest hammered with the thrum that filled him despite the cushioning of his suit. Alec grabbed a mannequin that oscillated into him and tossed it into a group of other mannequins, knocking swaths of them over in a domino effect. A single person remained standing in position within the brilliant back and forth of the strobe. Alec dove for them as they dropped form and tried to run. He grabbed the person's heel and hauled them down into his grasp. They wore a strange white full-body leotard that was made to match the other mannequins. He grappled them between his meaty reinforced arms, pulling the individual into a chokehold as they kicked wildly. Choking the figure unconscious, Alec got up and made his way toward the passage far beyond the throng of mannequins. He barely ducked a knife that went for his face. He grabbed the attacker's arm and hauled them to the polished marble floor. So much detail had gone into making this place seem like the set of a horror film. Paralyzing pain wrenched through his left arm and shoulder as he pummeled another attacker to obscurity. Alec collapsed next to the unconscious mannequin lookalike that had black blood staining their cloth mask, gripping his shoulder as he clenched his teeth closed. Every muscle in his body was fighting his every effort to get through this. Feeling okay, Nitrain? You always thought you could hold your problems and bend the world to your will. But the truth is that you must submit and accept that the world and nature has won. It was always going to win, old friend. He had to fight. He had to relax. He had to win this. Even if it killed him later, he couldn't let Freddy down. Alec pushed to his feet and fought the pain. His whole arm was numb. It swung with his stride as his heart urged him to end this mission. There was always a backup plan. He could get out of here and get to his car within minutes, but his partner had put his faith into him. He had always promised, as the boy's mentor and trainer, that he would keep him safe at all cost. Alec knocked down the last of the mannequins on his way to the ramp leading to the next corridor. Three of the mannequin figures advanced on him. He took each of them down in a daze, the thrum and strobe of the room absorbing his every movement. 
Alex stood over the three motionless forms of the assailants with his hands clenching, even though he still couldn't feel the whole left side of his body. He hurried up the ramp, taking a final look behind him to make sure he wasn't followed. A path of destruction led through the field of remaining mannequins from where he came. He mounted the ramp that fed to a corridor that had been made to look like that of a hospital or mental institution. The fluorescent lights of the long bulbs in their plastic housings flickered down the passage ahead. The doors alongside the path opened at random, releasing a different horror at odd intervals. Alec fought a person in a prison uniform with cut-off sleeves from far away. He saw their bug-eyed expression as he grabbed them by the throat and slammed them to the ground. He fought one of the screamer women with matted hair that made his heart ache with their every shriek until he ended that shriek. There was a haze of combat, like he was drunk. He must have eliminated all of the threats, right? Alec couldn't remember when he blacked out, but the last thing he could recall was the flickering of the fluorescent light overhead as shadows closed upon him. 5. Alec opened his eyes. He was seated in a chair with industrial-strength black cord wrapping him to the metal backrest. His feet in their boots were also tied to the chair legs. He was in a small plasterboard room. His suit couldn't be open from the outside, so whoever might have wanted to get a good look at him was out of luck. They could still theoretically kill him if they wanted to, but Horror Show did not do that. Yet. The four walls of the room fell apart. The platform beneath Alec's chair turned him around to see Freddy upon a tall platform within the warehouse. The upper part of his suit had been removed, leaving only his black uniform pants and the falcon mask upon his head. His teeth were clenched and his hands had been tied behind his back. The rope binding his hands had been tied to the rafters somewhere. Do you know why the pretty ones are the first to die in horror movies? Horror Show asked from the speakers throughout the room. Alec didn't answer. Because there's a small part of us that likes to watch beautiful things die. The platform beneath Freddy dropped. No! Alec's eyes widened as he jerked forward in his chair. This was a form of reverse hanging that resulted in the death of the individual in question. It was a particularly painful way for someone to die as the shoulders were slowly dislocated from the body. Freddy had always been in extremely good shape, so he was able to muscle his way back up from the sudden loss of ground beneath him. His arms strained as he held himself from the steady atrophy that would be caused by gravity. Alec had to get out of here. His heart throbbed in his chest. He took a deep breath and pressed on his right arm as hard as he could. He felt pain in his shoulder as he activated the nitrane fist mechanism built into the suit. A metal shield slid over his fist as the ratchet cranked to maximum power. Chuck! He fired the mechanical fist that yanked his suit against the black wires. Chuck! Chuck! He did it again and again, wrecking the wires with the strength of a full-blown train, until he had loosened himself enough to pull his arm free. He disarmed the fist and peeled the ropes apart with his fingers. It seemed to take forever to free both feet. Tearing away his bindings, Alec hurried down the ramp. He used the suit's jetpack to launch to the platform where Freddy had been tied. He reached over and grabbed the ropes tied to Freddy's hands. Pulling him in, Alec used the suit's Dremel cutting wheel for getting through fences and other barriers on the rope holding him. The rope snapped and Alec pulled Freddy to him. What took you so long? Freddy asked. Sorry, bud. Had a little heart trouble on the way, Alec replied as he untied his partner. Going after me is fine, but it's when they go after my friends that they're in for a world of hurt. Horsho probably isn't even in this building, Freddy said. He's not, said Alec. I have already triangulated his location. He's being dealt with as we speak. Let's get you out of here.
6. Morgan drove the contractor truck she had stolen from a nearby housing construction neighborhood to the construction site on the outskirts of Northwest Mortimer. She parked next to the other utility vehicles and got out, wearing the uniform of a lead contractor who had been indisposed during his lunch break. She made sure no one was watching and snuck behind the manager's trailer on the lot. Placing the audio enhancement device Alec had given to her on the wall of the trailer, Morgan listened to the conversation that took place within. Why would he just do whatever you're asking him to do? One voice asked. It doesn't matter what I ask, it's that they do it, and more importantly, why they do it. That's important to me. Horror movies in the present never make sense to the viewer. It's after years of thought that they realize that the movie they disregarded as trash had a significantly deeper meaning. Nitrain will do whatever I ask, and Nitrain will survive. But for one moment, I had control over the great Nitrain. He did what I wanted, which means next time. That's when Morgan kicked open the door to the trailer. She held her forty-four pistol on one man who was seated on the couch, then turned it toward another who was seated at a desktop computer. Both looked dumbfounded at her sudden entrance. Having a secret meeting, are we? Morgan asked. Who? The man at the computer didn't know what to do. How did you? I have everything you've said over the last three hours on record, Morgan said smartly, and there's about 20 police cars on their way here right now to shut down you and your whole operation. Pretty ingenious, Daniel Martinez, or should I say, horror show. She's full of shit, the guy on the couch yelled. Morgan turned the pistol on him. He ducked instantly to the floor with his hands over his head. She turned the pistol on Martinez as he went for something in his desk drawer. He froze when he realized it was over. Don't even think about it. Martinez raised his hands over his head. Five minutes later, the entire construction site was swarming with MPD. Morgan texted Alec, telling him that MPD had horror show in custody. At least allegedly. She had just hit send when Jamie Burns, MPD's lead detective on most high-profile cases, rounded on her. A quick word, he glanced at his notes. Morgan Peterson. He wore a heavy overcoat over his broad shoulders. He was the tallest man on the force and kept his bald head shaved. Good evening, Detective Burns, said Morgan cordially. How's your hip? My, my hip? He looked blindsided by her question. Yeah, after the replacement, she continued. After the car bomb in Iraq about 12 years ago. How did you know about that? He glared at her. I'm just well informed. She gave him a big fake grin. That's a good enough segue into my concern. I've seen your name on multiple reports. For whatever reason, Morgan Peterson is usually on the scene even before first responders. I don't know what you think you're doing, or if you get some kind of thrill out of being involved with the police, but you're not a commissioned police officer. You're not a vigilant. I'd have to arrest you if you were. So if you are neither of those things, I shouldn't see your name on another of these reports. Are we clear? Yes, Detective. Crystal. Morgan nodded. Get out of here. Burns pointed toward her truck. Morgan nodded and gave him a wave before hurrying to the stolen truck. He remained standing there with his arms crossed, glaring at her as she backed out of the construction site. She felt an immediate sense of relief as he turned and walked back into the site as she drove away. With that finished, she drove back to the construction site to leave the truck around the block where she'd found it. She'd meet Alec and Freddy at headquarters via her motorcycle in case the detective tried to have her followed. 7. Freddy and Alec entered a large cafeteria that had been filled with yet another obstacle course. Time, time. A woman's voice spoke loudly throughout the building. Freddy and Alec looked at one another. Time, time. The voice repeated. 
Backup self-destruct activated. Ten minutes to detonation. What does that mean? Freddy asked, looking around. Suddenly hundreds of people began running across the floor of the cafeteria. They all wore different outfits for their roles in horror show's experience. It looked less like a coordinated effort to scare them and more like a scramble to escape. Where are they going? Alec asked. He hurried forward with Freddy beside him, craning his neck to figure out where they were all running to. The obstacle course entrance was on the far end of the room. The different people in costumes, masks, and some wearing zombie makeup were hurrying towards some alternate exit. We gotta get out of here, Freddy said, jogging after the crowd of masked people. Alec's chest tightened, but he followed Freddy. They were right behind the last of the costumed people. The last one went through the door, saw them, then quickly pulled the door closed and latched it from the other side. Freddy shouldered into the door and punched it, droplets of sweat spraying down the tips of his black hair above his falcon mask. Alec turned around and surveyed the obstacle course they would need to take to progress further into Horshow's madness. There's not enough time, Alec said. You weren't actually thinking of going through that mess, were you? Freddy asked. That would be the only way, said Alec. But only one of us can make it in seven minutes, and that's you. Alec pulled up his display on his visor and tapped the new user button. He palmed the button on the chest of his suit, allowing the arms, legs, and chest to split apart. N no stammered Freddy as he took a step back. Alec stepped out of the suit in his gym shorts and white t-shirt. Alec grabbed his arm. Freddy struggled, but Alec, even in spite of his heart problem, wrangled Freddy around and shoved him back first into the suit. Freddy's heel collided with the nitrine suit's boot, and he tripped directly into the machine. The nitrine suit encompassed him quickly enough for Freddy to kick the left boot back to catch himself. The shield visor fell over Freddy's smaller, younger face. The suit hissed as the interior cushioning molded to meet Freddy's form. The suit should keep you safe if you don't make it. Alec pointed at the obstacle course. Go. Freddy didn't think. He kicked into motion. He jogged up the ramp to see a corridor with large axes swinging down the passage in perfect succession for a person to run directly through in a single pass at full speed. He would have to make sure he didn't fall behind or get too far ahead. Freddy waded through the sequence three times, counting in his head from the beginning to the end. He would have to get through in seven seconds, a straight shot through. As the last axe swung through and the first axe flipped past to reset the sequence, Freddy was already running through it. He closed his eyes, thinking of being on the track team. He tried to ignore the imminent doom on either side of him, but kept pace, counting in his mind. He needed to speed up, but the suit was clunky to him. As often as he'd watched Alec wear it, Freddy had never worn it himself. He pushed himself to run faster, toward the falling danger ahead. Five seconds in, and he opened his eyes to see the final axe switch. Did I calculate incorrectly? I couldn't have, he thought to himself as he counted toward the final second. The final axe had become random. There was only one thing to do. Freddy dove left just as the final axe swung through the corridor ahead, barely missing him. It would have struck him if he'd gone right, and the previous axe would have landed if he had hesitated even a second. Freddy got to his feet with his heart in his chest. He kept going, following a passage that twisted around eerily from vertical to horizontal, except gravity was still relevant for him. It wasn't like the movies where the ground shifted with the narration. Freddy crawled in the nitrine suit out of the doorway onto a soft pad. Before him was a very tall wall with pegs throughout its surface leading to the top. Freddy was smart enough to know that the suit had a relatively powerful jetpack, but Alec had already used most of the rocket fuel to reach him while he was hanging. There was no time for thought. 
Freddy mounted the wall and began to climb. He made it a quarter of the way to the top before both the pegs he was holding slid out, causing him to fall. Time, time, the voice called throughout the warehouse. Four minutes to detonation. Freddy got up and grabbed the pegs, hauling himself and the suit upon the wall once again. He was able to avoid the missing pegs and get to the halfway mark where he proceeded more cautiously. Grabbing another peg, Freddy pulled the suit up the wall like a big mechanical gorilla. At last, he reached a defunct peg, which slid out under his weight, but this time Freddy was ready. He dropped to two other pegs, which snapped one under the weight of the suit, leaving Freddy hanging by a single lucky peg. He got his boot upon another wooden peg and pivoted laterally to another set where he could get back on track. Freddy took a second to take a deep breath as the whole suit was weighing upon him. Time, time, the computer voice spoke. Two minutes to detonation. Damn it, Freddy spat, launching himself up the wall. He grabbed another peg that tried to slide out, but he just kept going without stopping. Closer to the top, almost all of the pegs seemed to be tripped. He was sliding out upon two bad pegs when he activated the jetpack. It sputtered but accelerated. Freddy had just enough juice for his hands to grip the top ledge. Pulling himself up, he reached a channel between two narrow glass panels, except there was no floor. Beyond the 50-yard corridor ahead was the exit. He could see the hills beyond the facility clearly. Time, time, one minute to detonation, the computer said calmly. Freddy gave the gap ahead a running start, leaped the chasm that led all the way down to the warehouse floor three stories down, and spread his arms and legs to catch himself within the empty space between the glass panels. Freddy held himself within the suit, suspended above the long fall below. Were he to release himself, he would just drop straight down and probably live with the suit's exoskeleton feature, but he had no idea if this detonation threat was true or not. He would surely fail the obstacle course, and he was right there. Throwing himself, Freddy slowly walked himself between the walls toward freedom. Time, time, 30 seconds to detonation. 30 seconds until I shove my foot up your adorable ass, Freddy joked. He calmly clambered closer to the exit. Sweat was pouring down his face as he pressed on between the panels. The ending was right there. All he wanted to do was release and let go. He threw himself and almost fell down, but held with one foot half off the panel toward doom below. Freddy's eyes rolled into the back of his head as he was about to pass out. He could do this, but it was the suit. If not for the suit, this would be cake. One more, Freddy, Alec called in his memory. Just for me, buddy. Give it one more. Freddy took a deep breath and threw himself between the glass panels toward the opening and freedom ahead. He fired the ratcheted nitrine punch, which gave him just enough umph to grapple the threshold and his escape. Time, time, ten seconds to detonation. Freddy threw his boot up and out through the opening ahead, rolling over the brick barrier of the building wall. He fell straight down, hit the jetpack button, but nothing happened. His first thought as the ground was coming at him was that he had seriously screwed up, but the suit cushioned his fall. Boom! An extra gear kicked into Freddy as he scrambled through the grass away from the building. The entirety of the warehouse was engulfed in a massive firestorm of destruction, sending Freddy flying and sprawling over the parking lot pavement of the warehouse. The heat coming off the building was unbearable. Freddy slowly crawled to his feet. He heard the engine of a vehicle roar through the parking lot nearby. When he looked up, Alec's silver bullet car was idling there. The door opened. No one was inside. Freddy dragged himself and the suit into the vehicle, got into the driver's seat, and set the auto drive for home. 8. 
Freddy remembered the jostling of Alex's silly bullet car Porsche as it drove him through the city of Mortimer back to Alex's estate. It was Morgan who helped him out of the vehicle within their hideout. Freddy? She stepped back as Freddy slowly got out of the vehicle. In the background, he could hear the newscaster talking about an explosion that had just happened at a warehouse on the edge of town. Freddy clutched the side of the helmet as his eyebrow pinged with pain. How do I get out of this thing? He asked. A series of tips appeared on the interior visor of the suit. Freddy pressed his pinky to his palm on his left hand and palmed the button on the middle of the suit. The whole thing slid apart, allowing him to fall out into Morgan's arms. Oof! Morgan guided Freddy to the ground. What happened to Alec? I I had to leave him behind, stammered Freddy. There was no time. I don't think he made it. Did you see him die? Morgan squinted. No, but... Then don't get all teary-eyed yet. The guy's been doing this for the last 30 years, Morgan said. Freddy nodded, wrinkling his forehead. He kept saying he was having heart problems. He glanced at Morgan, who was crouched next to him. Do you think maybe... No, she closed her eyes and got up. Until they pull a body that's identified with Alec Turner out of that rubble, he's just missing in action. Even then, I'm already thinking through scenarios where Alec planted some clone of himself in the building. He's just that crazy. Freddy knew it was wishful thinking. Two weeks passed and there was no word of Alec Turner. There were also no bodies found in the building after the explosion that had been covered up as a gas explosion at one of the distribution centers. It didn't look good from the city's perspective that a criminal mastermind was able to take over such a large facility and outfit the entire building to look like the sets of horror films. Mortimer was still one of the top ten most beautiful cities in the U.S., and tourism was big this year. Daniel Martinez, the guy who allegedly played horror show, lawyered up, and without a subpoena for a wiretap, none of the audio evidence Morgan had recovered from Alec's intricate audio recordings was admissible in court. Without the essential confession on the audio, there was only allegation and no real evidence linking Daniel to the crime. He did have to pay a fine for having an illegal firearm in his construction site, but walked away without jail time. Fortunately, he was smart enough to cross his T's and dot his I's as the construction site was an actual legal business and not just a front. Whatever Alec had nearly stumbled upon, it was a legitimate organization that had real money and real power. The warehouse was rebuilt and the property was sold to later become a distribution center for a large chain of department stores. Morgan and Freddy had their hands full with helping keep the peace on the criminal front. Nitrain's absence didn't go unnoticed and speculation that he had been inside the building and burned to death during the horror show incident began to circulate. Criminals started hitting banks without fear. Corner stores became regular places for holdups and shootouts, but most disturbing was the sudden appearance of a new threat. The mayor of Mortimer was found with a gunshot wound between the eyes, and a single black queen chess piece curled in his fingers. There was no evidence on the cameras, and the security detail knew of no one who could have done it. The mayor's entire security team had not discharged a single shot, based on their munitions check. The bullet was also from a 32 caliber pistol. None of them carried a 32 weapon. It was as though an invisible person had walked through the building, off the mayor, and walked out without being caught. The only person who heard the shot was the mayor's secretary who could confirm that the incident had taken place at exactly 4.12 the afternoon of the event. She also saw no one, and the windows were sealed. It was a head-scratcher that had stumped everyone in the city, including Morgan and Freddy. Freddy arrived at Alec's hideout after work when Morgan arrived after school. They entered through the secret entrance behind the bookcase and mounted the steps to find Alec's computer transferring data files. 
Several suspect profiles had been pulled up on one of his monitors. The chair had been pulled out as though someone had been there recently. When the two looked over to the suit display case, the nitrine suit was missing. That was fun, and a better ending than I anticipated. Thanks, Magical Brain. Nitrain was a character I came up with after compiling a number of other ideas from my notes. Originally, this whole thing was supposed to begin with Bruce Wayne entering a random bar outside of Gotham to complain about a problem he was having with a villain to the bartender. But no one in the bar actually knew he was Bruce Wayne, if that's even possible. It would have been unique, but one of those things where it's never actually said that it's a Batman story. There was also the option to include more guns and possibly major violence, but because this is coming between two very graphic Alondronon episodes, I thought, let's just ease back and have a PG superhero story that's just enjoyable for Halloween, and it doesn't need to turn into some over-the-top John Wick parody. That being said, happy Halloween. We'll be back with another episode actually in a few days, so see you then. The Apocalypse Theater Podcast was produced, directed, written, and voiced by Benjamin Allen. If you'd like to support our podcast, be sure to subscribe, leave a good review, like, or check out our donation page on the contacts page of our website. You can also purchase my books or audiobooks. Visit EK Publishing Media for more information. I cannot believe I'm having coffee with the famous Alec Turner. A journalist named Molly Randall squealed across from the relaxed Alec Turner. The two had met while lounging by the pool of the Caribbean cruise ship an hour prior. He asked if she wanted to have a drink, and Molly had said yes. Who wouldn't? The guy was worth $29 billion and counting. You know, I think about being Alec Turner very little throughout my day. I don't see how you could forget, considering how busy you are, Molly said, grinning. Busy is right. I had to practically fake my own death to go on this vacation. Molly's face turned to horror at the sound of sudden gunfire. She looked across the dance floor adjacent to the bar to see six men with guns and bandanas over their faces. They carried one-handed short-range machine guns, the leader aiming his into the air before squeezing off a short burst of rounds. We're taking over this cruise, he yelled. His men were carrying bags and quickly dispersed between the cruise ship patrons to begin gathering valuables. Oh my god, what are we going to do, Alec? Molly turned back to Alec who had mysteriously vanished, leaving only his empty seat across from her. Alec? She looked around to find him absent from the scene entirely. It's Night Train, Molly heard a woman yell amidst the rest of the patron's gasps. As though teleported onto the boat itself, Night Train, within his black and blue half-mechanical suit, charged into the fray. The thieves hadn't expected an interruption, so when they saw Night Train appear, they were just as shocked as the rest of the crowd. Alec, within the Night Train suit, knocked a bandit's gun from his grasp before grabbing him by the throat. What's a vacation without a little fun? The Apocalypse Theater Podcast is an EK Publishing Media Production 2021.